Well, things weren't going very well, and uh, and so God said, uh, "I'm gonna I'm gonna check on on my people. I'm gonna check on the people down in in Earth." Uh, and so He sent an angel. He sent an angel to check and see how how the Christians were doing. And the angel uh, decided to uh, uh, to to go off of percentage, and he said, "Well, actually, about 95 percent of the Christians they're not doing very well, but five percent are are good." And that wasn't a good report, so so God sent a second angel to to double check his work, and and uh, and the, the second angel said the same thing. Yeah, about ninety five percent are are doing really poorly, but five percent they're doing well, and uh, and so God thought, well, what can I do for those five percent? I mean, it's not a lot, but I I want to encourage them. I want I want to help them, so maybe that number grows. And so he thought, you know, everyone today is using that email stuff, so I'm going to send an email. Do you know what that email said? You didn't get it either? (laughs) We must be in the 95%. (laughs) Oh, that was a good one. (laughs) Well, um, not for salvation purposes, but there is value in goodness. We, We know that. There's value in being good. Um, but the problem is, it's hard to define what is good. Uh, the uh, The game of life. Has anyone ever played the game of life? Kind of a fun game. Uh, well, the game of life helps us to determine our values. Not really. The game of life was actually uh, the new game of life. It came out in 1798 uh, in England, not not Milton Bradley. And this game, you were supposed to play with your kids and teach them. And virtues made you speed through the game, and vices held you back. So that was what was important. That was what was good to those people at that time. Well, then in 1860, Milton Bradley came, out, came up with the checkered game of life, and it was focused on industry and perseverance. If you work hard, if you work hard and you stay with it, then you'll win the game of life. And so that was what was good at the time. That was the value in 1960, they came out with a 100-year commemorative game of life, and the goal is to make the most money by retirement. You can buy furniture and have babies and get a, get a job, but the goal, the ultimate goal, the only way to win was whoever had the most money at retirement. Well, then in the 1990s, they, they tried to change it and, and make it a little less focused on money, and so they, they came up with these ideas of, of uh, doing good works to make money, or winning a reality TV show to make money. The focus really didn't change all that much until 2011, the newest way, it it says on on the box or on the website, it says, a thousand ways to choose your life, to, sorry, a thousand ways to live your life, you choose. There's no uh, end on the new game of life, you, you just stop whenever you want, you kind of do whatever you want. And so, if we look around at things like board games and, and, uh, and media, uh, what is good is it's hard to define based off of what's around us. But as Christians, we have some, something bigger going on. We have a bigger purpose, a bigger mission. And so, why are we here? What is the game of life for us? What, what are we here for? And, and what is good? Why would we want to choose it? Well, in, in Matthew 28... Jesus, Jesus told us why we're here. What's the point of being good? 
He, he said, uh, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. What matters has never changed. The values, goodness, it's never changed. We have one purpose, to reach people for Jesus. That's it. And I'm not going to focus on this text today, but I, I wanted to start with that because there's a man named Paul who believed this. Uh, uh, Paul had been, uh, uh, had been a bad person, really. I mean, he says he was the worst of all sinners, and, and Jesus changed his life. And so I think we're in, a, we're in a situation like Paul. We could live how we want, but then Jesus changes our lives, and so we have to live a different way, or we choose to live a different way. And he talks about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, we're going to start at verse 19 if you want to follow along with us. He, he talks about his life and why he chooses to do what he does. And so in verse 19, he says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many people as possible. To win as many as possible. That is where this is going today. Paul's goal, what is good, what he values, is to win people for Jesus. And if, if we're Christians, then that's the same for us. And so this, this text really helps us to understand the value of it as well as how to go about it. He keeps going, to the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. He became what someone needed him to be. He didn't change what he valued. He didn't, he didn't move away from, from God's teachings. He didn't affirm sinful behavior, but he built relationships with people. Uh, this is uh, the fulfilling life that Jesus talks about. When we make our mission the same mission as his, reaching people with the gospel, then we, then we have that. Uh, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to know what a fulfilling life is until you experience it. And I, I really think when I read through Paul's words and, and when I read about his challenges and what he's willing to do, it means a lot. And he has this fulfillment. And so he does whatever it takes to win the lost. But I, I think, what does that look like? What does that look like for us? It's intentionally building relationships with people and, and doing our best to connect with them. And, and Paul, actually, it, the next section of, of this uh, scripture, verses 24 to 27, uh, it's always read out of context, but it really needs to be read with what I just read there, because what he's doing is saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to win as many people as possible, 
and here's how. And the first thing he does is he, he, he connects with them. He just told them in this section, hey, do whatever it takes to connect with people so that you can share the gospel. Oh, you guys are from Corinth, and because of that, I know that you are very into athletic contests. Uh, the Olympic Games were in, in Greece. And in Corinth, every, every two years, they had the Isthmian Games. So Paul knows the people he's, he's talking to, he's trying to connect with them, and he says, well, you're into sports, so I'm going to connect with you just like I told you I do to share the gospel. And he goes on. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. What does that look like? Run in such a way as to get the prize. So the first thing is you have to try really hard. If you're going to go out and run to win the race, you have to try your best. But anyone who's ever competed in anything knows that it doesn't start at the starting line. How do you, how do you run a race to win the prize? Well, you start training in advance. And so he tells them, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Well, the Isthmian games, there was requirements. I know I'm, I'm kind of sto stopping at every verse because there's, there's uh, uh, it, when, you, when you read through this text, you have to pull out and understand what he's saying, and, and there's just little details in every, every verse. But he says that they go into strict training. Uh, they had to train for 10 months. They weren't, required, or they weren't allowed to eat meat. They weren't allowed to drink wine, and they had to have adequate rest. There was other things, too. They had to do everything possible for 10 months just to come up to one race, starting line, and to be ready. What does that look like in the Christian life? When, when we have an opportunity to share the gospel, when we have someone who says, hey, what's, what's this uh, uh, about in the Bible? Or why have I heard this about Christians? What does that mean? Well, our opportunity doesn't start when the conversation starts. Our opportunity starts now in disciplining ourselves and training ourselves. Well, it's not to run a race that way. It's to share the gospel. So we read the Bible. We study. We talk about it with one another. Uh, we, we, we really try to figure out the best we can what it means before that moment happens. He says they do it to get a crown that will not last. Now, when I, when I read that, I just think, oh, a trophy, because, you know, rust will destroy it and it won't last very long. Now, their, their uh, crown was first made out of pine, and then it was made out of celery for a while, and then pine again. This crown wasn't going to last very long at all, especially a, one that was made out of celery. But he says, uh, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. I don't believe this is about salvation. I believe this is about pleasing God, being, being rewarded, not salvation, but because of our faithfulness. He says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Now, that passage just sounds funny. I'm going to read it again. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. He knows his mission. He knows why he's here. He's not just running. He's not just swinging his arms. He knows it's pinpoint. He knows exactly what he's trying to accomplish before it happens. And so what does he do when he knows his mission? He says, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. 
he has become very disciplined to please God. He has done everything possible to be able to share the gospel with others. He's understood his purpose, what is good to him. And when I read all this, I, I think it, it comes down to this. We have to put others before ourselves if we're going to share the gospel of Jesus. Now, that sounds like a very simple statement. We, we know that. Hey, everyone, don't be selfish. Put others first. No, we, we have to be extra careful and, and give extra detail in putting others before ourselves to share the gospel of Jesus. Well, why would they believe it? I mean, if you really think about it, what's the message of the cross? What is the gospel? We were weak, and, and we failed, and we were hopeless. We, were, we had no chance to make it to heaven. We were all sentenced to hell. And Jesus had to put us before himself to save us. That's the message. Because of God's love, he was willing to sacrifice his son for us. And so if we believe that, if, we've re- if we really believe our message is someone putting themselves before us to save us, then does our evangelism match up? When, when we go and, and, we, and we tell someone this story, do they, do they believe that, that we actually mean it? Would we be willing to put them before us like Jesus put us before him? We just have to decide if it really matches up. What would, would we be willing to give up? Maybe it's wealth. Maybe it's, this is a tough, I think wealth probably the easiest. Freedom, our rights. We don't want our rights taken from us. We don't want our freedom taken from us. But if Jesus said that light shines in the dark, darkest places, then isn't it actually more of an opportunity to share the gospel when the world is dark around us? We don't want the world to go downhill, but we have an opportunity because it has, because it is. Martyred uh, missionary Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Maybe we're wasting too much time worrying about things that, that really don't matter that much. And so basically, we have to make a decision. What are you willing to do to share the gospel with someone else. I don't know who it is. I don't, I don't know what you have to do. I'm not sure who you're trying to reach. Uh, but just like Paul was connecting with the people he was talking to, our relationships are not to just have fellowship and to have, have fun and to have friends, but our relationships are so that we can have an opportunity to share the gospel with those people. So what are you willing to do? And, and the answer has to be whatever it takes. That's, that's, it has to stop there. Jesus paid the price for our salvation, but that doesn't mean we don't have work to do because people need to know about it. So Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so I want to try to apply this sermon. I want to apply this scripture. But the, the truth is, it's, the message cannot be finished today. I can't finish this. I can't give you a full application. You have to decide, like Paul did when he was talking to these people, you have to decide, how can I connect this with someone else? How can I share the gospel with my, my spouse or my kids or my neighbors or my coworkers? What can I do to share the good news? I want to try to apply it, but, but really you have to finish it. And you need di- discipline, for sure. Paul tells us that. You need to know your purpose. Paul tells us that. You really don't need a lot of training. 
I mean, this discipline was self-discipline, but it doesn't require a lot of training. We, we, learn, we learn about Jesus from the Bible, and we share how Jesus has changed our lives, how He has offered hope, how He has welcomed us into the family, and how when we tell these people how they can also have the same hope in life. See, I think discipline gives us an edge. We need it. But Paul needed a reason as well. Discipline works until we get tired, until we get busy. And then we kind of just put it on the back burner. I'll tell them about Jesus later. I got work to do. See, Ray Ortland said, do you realize that most of the wonderful things being done in the world are being done by tired people? Tired parents raising kids? Tired soldiers defending our nation? Tired scholars writing books? What are we expecting? This life is hard and it's, it isn't going to be easy. Let's just accept it. We are going to work hard, heal over dead, then go to heaven. Great. Why do we think there's a day where we won't be tired? We're not looking for the easy way out. We have Christ in us, the hope of glory. What a life. Let's work hard in the strength the Lord supplies till the day we die, then enter in the, into the presence of an unwasted, uh, the presence of God with an unwasted life. How glorious. A reason or purpose gets us through this tiredness. We have to remember why we're here. That's why we come to church. To, to fill ourselves so that we can be poured out for others. And the more you live with Jesus in mind, the more that you will want to keep living this way. Because when you have the meaning, the eternal meaning, and know that there's nothing that matters even, even comparable, then nothing else will bring satisfaction in the way of sharing the gospel with the world. This is for every Christian, every day, if we would be willing to change our mindset. See, it might, it might look like small things, like changing our goals instead of getting to giving. I mean, if you really think about most goals that, that we set, New Year's resolutions, just goals, it's always about what I need to accomplish, what I can get done for myself, how much I can make, what I can, how much weight I can lose, just stuff like that. But what if our goals were instead about giving? How much can I make a difference to my neighbor? Maybe it's a mindset shift that we look for eternal significance even in the little things. It's hard sometimes to think that doing little things might matter. You may have heard this, this illustration before, but three brick workers were asked what they were doing. One said, I'm laying bricks. One said, I'm making $17.50 an hour. The third said, I'm building a cathedral for the glory of God. All three were doing the same job, but a different mindset. A different perspective makes all the difference. And there are no throwaway moments in life. Every moment matters. And so we look for eternal significance in our, in our work, in our relationships, and when we, when we act, when we do things. So Paul had people watching him, and this is what he was talking about of, I'm willing to do this to win these people. I'm willing to give up these freedoms or these rights. I'm willing to do this, this, uh, this activity if it would possibly bring someone to Christ. So I don't know what you have to do, but you have to consider that. What are you willing to do? And when you leave here, I hope that you don't just walk out and think, okay, we got to do something, but specifically, what will you do to bring someone along with you? I want to finish up with a video that I really think helps explain this a lot. If you could play that. Remo Sukar Davo of Guinea-Bissau is literally dragging the brave Aruban Jonathan Busby to the finish line. 
They are going to finish together here. The crowd are on their feet. Anybody who's able, standing to salute this outstanding demonstration of sportsmanship and camaraderie. They didn't travel here to drop out. They travelled here to finish. Bremer, Sukar Davo and Jonathan Busby to a huge ovation from this massive crowd in Doha have finished the 5,000 metres. And what a demonstration of the esprit de corps and the friendship that exists between runners of all levels from all countries around the world. Brema Sunkar Dabo and Jonathan Busby were not from the same country. Uh, Brema Sunkar Dabo was the 26-year-old. Was he, was, he was dragging Jonathan to the finish line. He, he gave up his chance uh, to cross quickly to make it about himself. But he was willing to bring someone along. That other Jonathan, uh, he had he had become uh, he, he couldn't he couldn't focus. He didn't know where he was. Uh, I guess the exhaustion just got to him, and so this other guy was willing to give up his time so that he would be able to bring someone with him. How are you doing in your race? Paul explains perfectly well that we have to stay disciplined for ourselves. That we don't want to be disqualified from the race from our journey following following God. But when you enter heaven, when you cross the finish line, who's going to be next to you? Who, will you? who will you have drug with you to cross the line? Maybe one of us is going to be that person. Maybe someone in here needs someone else to come alongside and, and share, share their faith with us and help us and, and bring us with them. See, we all need to have our own faith, but we do need to, to support each other. So what will you do to bring someone with you when you finish the race? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for taking the first step. When we failed, when we fell short, you were willing to still put us first by sending Jesus. And so I pray as we share the message with the world, that we would do exactly what you did for us, that we would be willing to put others before ourselves so that together we can cross the finish line. Thank you so much for your love and for your son. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.